Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 21 Minutes or Less podcast. Today, we are joined by Duncan Kirkwood, who's an author, speaker, and a global resilience advocate. He recently published Rerouting Resilient Tools and Tactics, and he's been recognized nationally for leading the organizing and advocacy effort to pass the Alabama School Choice and Opportunity Act in 2015. So welcome to our podcast. Can you first just start by telling us what got you involved with politics? Uh, Yeah, so thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, What happened was it got me first involved. I was was in college at Alabama State and there was this girl who I was sprung over and um, the school was going to kick her and the rest of the honor students. They were going to close the honors dorm and kicked all of them out. Basically, they'd have to stay in the regular dorms. So I organized them and to write letters. We had a protest, got the media, and we got to school um, on a Saturday morning. We stormed the president's house and we got them to reverse their decision. And that was the first time I really learned that like when something isn't right, you know, you can not only can you change it, but you have a responsibility to stand up and try to change it. And so throughout college, I just got more involved with local politics and, you know, advocacy efforts, end up suing the city of Montgomery to protect voting rights. Um, and then just kind of from there, just stayed in the field of advocacy and activism. Well, shout out to Alabama State. I also went there. So, um, yeah, that's amazing that you were so involved and that you're still so involved, even though you're not in school or like, you know, just doing it for like community service or something like that. But I do know right now you're also um, trying to help get the Democrats in in Georgia. So yay for you. And I know you don't live in Georgia. So what made you want to get involved in the Georgia politics, even though you don't live here? Like, why did you want to take on this task? All right. So right now, the whole political world is looking at Georgia. Right. So we just had a, the election of our lifetimes uh, and, and we elected, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So that was awesome. But government isn't just run by the executive branch, the president, and the vice president uh, and their administration. It's also run by the United States Congress. And, you know, the on election night, every state has different rules. So Georgia had a rule that if you don't, if a candidate doesn't get over 50% of the vote, then it goes to a runoff. And two of the candidates in Georgia for U.S. Senate or several of the, none of the candidates got over 50%. So the top two, you know, went to a runoff. So in both Georgia Senate races, there's a runoff election. Well, I don't live in Georgia, but I live in America. And right now, if if both of the Democrats win the Georgia election, then the Democrats will have control of the presidency and control of Congress. They've already got control of the House. So now, essentially, the Senate would be tied 50 senators to 50 senators. But the tie breaking vote would be Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States. That's if the Democrats win both seats in Georgia. So everybody and their mama is going to Georgia, calling Georgia voters, outreach to Georgia voters, reaching out to HBCUs, progressive groups, NAACP, because the whole like... The difference in our country passing criminal justice reform, bail reform, uh, legalizing marijuana in different places, like the the major changes that we want to see in our country are only possible if we have control of the Senate. If not, then the Republicans can block a lot of the changes and progress that we're going to be looking to make in the next few years. I'm glad you broke that down for the people who may not understand how important this election is. Yeah, definitely. 
And I know that you're pushing for the candidates to um, be advocates for paid family leave. But can you tell us a little bit about that and why you chose that as the initiative for them to support? Yeah, well, that's part of my job. So I actually, you know, have a real job. I work for an organization called Plus Paid Leave for the United States. And we try to advocate to get a federal paid family and medical leave policy passed. So basically, if you lived in California, right, and you had a new baby, the state mandates that you will get eight paid weeks off, right? If you live in Colorado, you will get 12 paid weeks off. But if you live in, I don't know, New York, like I do, there is no state mandate for you to have paid time off. So it's up to your employer. So one job might say you get one day off. Another job might say you get two weeks off. So we want a federal policy of high quality paid family leave for everyone. So whether you work at Target or Walmart, Burger King, whether you're a CEO or a lawyer or HR specialist, whatever you do, you should have access. So if you have a baby or if you have to take care of a sick family member, you have paid time off to do that. And you don't have to choose between your paycheck and, you know, taking care of your family. So that's what I do, like, as my real job. Uh, and it's an honor to be a part of a dynamic organization with dynamic folks doing that. And in Georgia, you know, because this race is so tight, we're using our resources as an organization to support the Democratic candidates. But we also want to support them because there's through the lens of their support for paid leave. So we want them to win, but when, when they win, we want them to remember that the paid leave folks were part of supporting them in their journey to win. So that when that paid leave policy comes to Congress, they'll say, oh yeah, I'm with that. Oh yeah, I'm on the record supporting that. You know, And so that's why you know, we're coming at it through that angle because it's such an important you know, policy. One of my coworkers, she said, I said, you know, how do you, you know, how do you feel about paid leave? She said, well, she came from like environmental justice or some other you know, progressive cause. And she said, the thing about paid leave that's different than almost every other cause that she's ever been a part of is if we pass a federal paid family and leave policy, that's a, that'd be a national policy in Congress. And we pass the policy, it would like a light switch instantly change the lives of millions of Americans. And that is something that will be really powerful for this country. Yes, I personally feel like it's very important I understand that businesses, they have to think about their bottom line, but they also need to incorporate the well-being of their employees. And, you know, this podcast is about entrepreneurs. So this is a good topic for even our entrepreneurial listeners to keep this in mind when they are hiring people to work for them to think about, hey, okay, when they aren't working here and something comes up to where they need assistance, how can I, as an employer, help them with, you know, their family or their well-being so they can come back and be a better employee for my company? Yeah, absolutely. And then the thing is, a lot of people think like it's like a worker benefit, right? Like, oh, pay family leave. How can I afford it? If I'm a small business owner, how am I going to have one of my staff members out for three months and I'm paying them their full salary, right? Like, that's just how is that going to work, right? So the, the way there's different ways of fi- funding it, but a lot of it, the, the employer, the employee actually pays into. So just like we pay into Social Security or you pay into whatever, you know, whatever else, the em- every paycheck, each employee would pay a little bit into it. So when you need it paid leave, the employer isn't taking this massive hit because you kind of built this stockpile of resources. So you're not like financially taking a loss as an employer to provide that paid leave. And then the government, the federal government would also 
support uh, organizations and employers. So like over the pandemic, I don't want to get too in the weeds here because we're going to talk about self-care. But oh, and during the pandemic, Congress passed the <laughs> FFCRA, the Family First Coronavirus Recovery Act. Part of that act provided money to small businesses for paid family and medical leave. So if you know Sarah is at work and she has to take off a month because she has COVID, her employer can give her paid time off and get reimbursed by the federal government for that money that she that they're paying her to take that paid leave. So that's the Family First Coronavirus Recovery Act. That's a big deal for a lot of employers. That meant like they, if somebody got sick, they can let them be off for the full time they need to recover. Or for parents who need to virtually school their kid, they can take like almost three months of time, uh, paid time off to help virtually school their kid. And the employer can get that money reimbursed by through the FFCRA. And, that, and those benefits they sunset at the end of this year. So part of what we're doing now is actually trying to get Congress to expand those and extend those uh, further. But that's a whole nother podcast day. Sorry about that. I don't, you know, that's, that's, that's what I do. This is like part of my job. So I'm like really in the weeds and locked in on this and really passionate about it right now. Yes, I hear the passion in your voice. <laughs> I think that's really important. Like you said, just to get more people involved as far as like small business owners and, and the federal government. But I know a lot of, you know, people in general are skeptical about the government right now. So how do you feel like people, you know, that are voting for these people in Georgia, like us, how do we hold them accountable once they're in office to do the things they said they're going to do? Like when it is time to vote for a federal pay leave act, how do you know they're going to do it or support it? Or, you know, just how do we make sure that they're actually reciprocating the energy we're giving it? That's a great question. And the answer really is on us in a lot of ways. Like what happens is just like the politicians only care about elections when it's election time, a lot of times most people only care about elections when it's election time. So what we've got to do is like this energy, like this year, this generation of young people especially has really like been locked into politics. Like they have been joining organizations, voting, making noise. You can see the NBA players, the NFL players, like people from all, all, all over are coming together to really make an impact in this election. We need to keep those coalitions of people together. We need to keep that same energy as the elections pass and we move into whatever the next thing is to, like you said, hold them accountable. So if, like for example, the Biden administration said that they want to pass a law that gives every person access to 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave, right? And so after the election, when it's time for the bills to start going and we're writing, you know, uh, we're, we're writing policies, we as an organization, we as individuals are going to keep our community together to say, okay, you said you're going to do this. Thank you. Here's the picture of you saying it. Here's the video of you saying it. Here's the text of what you said. Now we need you to deliver. And so that means we got to keep having people call the congressman, call the senators, call the president's office, call the administration, keep writing letters, keep posting on social media. Like we've got to keep the energy past the election day. And that's the, that's hard to do. Right. Because we got people got lives. They got kids, virtual school. And a lot of people are struggling with the economy right now and their jobs. So it's a lot. It's hard to, to maintain that. But if you want change, nobody said change is easy. They just said it's possible. So in order for us to see change, we have to, like, carry the torch. So what I tell people is don't say what can other people do? Ask what can you do? Right. So just like you all have this great platform and you all are using it to empower people, 
you know, also use some of y'all platforms to hold these elected officials accountable. And I, would I use my platform to do ABC? I need to use it to hold, you know, hold people accountable. So it's all of our responsibility because elected officials, they're like, you know, they're, they're like coal. They only respond to heat and pressure, right? So we have to constantly provide the heat and the pressure in order to get them to react, in order to get them to hold fast to what they said that they've done, they'll do. So my question is, if they fail to deliver, how do we move forward? You vote them out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as you just, it's that simple. Like we have seen in this last election more than any time since I've been alive that every vote matters, right? Like we've never seen an election so razor thin in so many places where every vote is like, we're on pins and needles counting every vote. And so, you know, our power our ability to organize is is there. We just have to activate it. In Georgia, they've had great leadership, like from people like Stacey Abrams and others who have really galvanized the black community to stand up and speak out. And so we just got to keep that going. And so in a couple of years, you know, we'll do you do an assessment in the midterm elections, like how are our elected officials doing? And if they're not doing what you want or they're not you know, uh, standing up for what you what you believe in or what you thought they would stand up for, then we got to use the same mechanisms to organize, to podcast, to social media, to tweet, to text, to call, use every resource to get them to hear us. And if they're still not hearing us, then we start pushing the other candidate. We start finding a new candidate. Uh, that's, that's really how it's going to happen. Do you find that people are more engaged when it comes to like voting for the president versus local elections? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, what can you do to change that? You know, that's that's a question I've been asking since I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. It's very frustrating. I understand it. So it's not crazy, right? The presidential election is on TV. and Anything that's on TV constantly is going to be trending. It's, it's popular. It's exciting. It's barbershop talk. It's beauty salon discussion. It's arguments at the family dinner table. Like everybody's talking about it. It's on 15 news networks like so because of that there's a different there's a higher level of energy and engagement associated with the presidential elections like that's just you know more people talk about the super bowl than this week's game you know random football game right but this week's game is important too because it decides the playoff set you know what i mean whatever so but the it's just that's the natural cause so i get that right we have to educate people and i I know that's so cliche to say but people got to understand that your city council member, your local mayor has 50 times more power and control over your everyday life than the president will ever have. They set policies at the 500,000 foot level view, whereas your council member is the reason your street ain't been paved. Your council member is the reason why there's a crack house, three houses down from your house and nobody demolishing it. Your mayor is the reason that the police in your city are over-policing in Black communities, or the DA isn't prosecuting police officers on misconduct. Like the, the people that have the most influence on our actual lives are the council members, the mayor, the school board members. Like those are the, those elections are so important, but because they're not on the news, they're not on TV all the time, only a small group of people who are like plugged into local politics actually care. The average everyday person, if I asked you right now, if, I'm, if you being real, if I said name your city councilor, name your school board member, name your county representative, most people couldn't name all of those, right? I mean, just being honest, most 
Most people couldn't name all of those, right? Because they're not, they're not on TV. It's not sexy. It's not fun and exciting to talk about. But those are the people when we talk about SNAP benefits, that's the county. That's your county representative. Uh, we talk about social service, child protective services. That's county. Health and wellness, that's the county, right? We talk about roads and safety, police, housing. That's your city council member, right? The things that people really care about and really mean something to their, their existence every day are your local representatives. So people got to just understand that. And I'm hoping that this wave of election energy that has come from the presidency will carry on into next year's smaller elections. And I'm hoping some organizations will take that mantle to say, hey, okay, you did all this stuff. Now here's four mayoral elections that we need to get involved in. Here's the council race in, in Atlanta we need to work on, right? Because those things really, really matter to your everyday life. And you talked about, you know, social media altering politics um, just because, you know, it's making it more accessible. We're able to see more people protesting, getting involved, things of that nature. But as we know, social media is also very, very busy. So how do we make sure that, like, when we do talk about stuff on social media as far as politics, it doesn't get drowned out? Or, you know, how do we make it so it's something people want to engage with? Like, how do we put the fun back into it so it's not just, you know, a tweet being sent out and then nobody retweeting it because it got drowned out by 50 videos of people twerking? Yeah. That's, <laughs> listen, that's a good question. Um, social media is dangerous. Uh, I want to be really clear. Social media is dangerous because you can say anything on social media and people, some there are people who will believe it's true. Right. So a lot, some of the news that we see or the social or the political posts and stuff, they're just made up and they're made up and promoted through the social networks on purpose because, you know, fake news, drama, negativity travels six times faster on social media than anything else. So they want to promote that because the more they promote it, the more you're going to look at your screen. The more you look at your screen, the more they can sell ads to advertisers. So it, social media can be very dangerous in that way uh, of promoting negativity, mistrust, drama, you know, uh, lies. But it's also it can be powerful if you use it to spread real information. And the, re the way I connect people to politics, because like politics is not fun. Like when it's election time, everybody want to talk about politics and president, everybody's an expert on social media, right? But when it's like normal time, nobody cares, right? What I do is I try to connect issues to politics. So instead of saying, hey, I like this council member, he's awesome. Or, hey, I don't like this school board member, they're not doing a good job. Instead of making it about the person, I make it about issues. So when I talk about politics on social media, I say, how is your experience as a parent virtually schooling your children? Are you getting supported in the virtual education of your child? How do you feel? Well, once you once people start engaging on that, you can say, okay, well, here's the school board member that wants to fix it. Or here's the two school board members that say it's going great. How do you feel about it? They say it's going great. What's your experience, right? And I make it, I use the issues to bring people into a, to care about the politics. So that's one way I have found it's been successful, but everybody's got to kind of do their own thing with it. Last question. You know, being involved in politics, like you said, it's not really fun. It's really heavy sometimes. It's serious matters being involved. So how do you balance like self-care, just you personally, with being so involved with politics? Yeah, so the the way the, it's two two answers to that question. We're gonna go over twenty one minutes. I'm sorry, I don't want to violate y'all podcast rules, you know. But 
Uh, I got two answers to that. The first answer is, oh, it it took me a lot of living and a lot of self-development to learn that my value is not connected to my opinion. My self-worth is not determined by what I believe in politics and, and, and issues. So if you ever notice, if you talk to somebody, you say, if somebody said to you, hey, I support Trump, right? If they supported Trump, instantly you don't like them. You can't stand them, right? They got to go. We can't have no conversation. What the heck is wrong with them, right? That's a lot of times because we tie our value to our opinion. So when other people have different opinions, we take it as a personal attack. I don't do that no more. So I have my beliefs on who I support. And I, I, you know, I generally support Democrats, you know, and different issues on how I feel about different issues. But if you feel differently or somebody feels different, I don't tie that to my to my value as a person. So we you could we could disagree on 15 different things. But if we agree on one thing, let's work together on that one thing. Right. So so because of that, politics isn't that draining for me. The second thing is I prioritize having fun. So just like I, on my to do list, I put work, you know, work on this, do some social media graphics, blah, blah, blah. I also put on there two hour block PlayStation four. You know what I'm saying? I put on there today, all day, hanging out with the wife and kids. And, you know, I prioritize it just like I prioritize work. So during those blocks of time, that's what I'm doing. I'm having a drink, playing my game, or I'm going for a run or playing football with my family. Like I make sure to, to prioritize it because it is equally, if not more important, because at the end of your life, I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox, but at the end of your life, you're not going to be laying on your deathbed talking about, man, I wish I would have worked another 20 hours that one week, or I would have bought more stuff, right? You're going to be on your deathbed like, man, I wish I would have never gave up on my dreams. I wish I never would have stopped singing. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have found some peace and joy in my life, right? And so the secret to life is to have that epiphany of, of what you wish that your life would be like while you're still young enough to do something about it. And so that's what I try to do. I try to, you know, live life with a purpose and help people make the world better, but also, you know, make myself better, enjoy it, you know, grow, do self-work, self-development, have fun, relax. Like if y'all can see, we only are audio, but if y'all can see my man cave right now, I got two Thor hammers and some Dragon Ball Z stuff. I got some alpha stuff, my PlayStation, like, you know, I'm, I'm in this space that's comfortable for me. And so I just tell people that make sure that you prioritize and fun in your life as well. Well, can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media? Yeah, my media? social media on all the accounts is just at Duncan Kirkwood, just my name. My website's DuncanKirkwood.com. Um, and, you know, I got like, you know, you can get my book on there, Rerouting. Uh, you can follow me on social media. I got a bunch of speaking engagements coming up. There's a global conference on female leadership that I'm going to be speaking at uh, on January 1st. I think, yeah, January 1st. Got some other stuff coming up, all free virtual events people can sign on to. So please follow me, like I said, on social media. And thank you all for having me, you know, on here and letting me get my voice out a little bit and and share some positive energy with the world. And, and congratulations on all the great work that you all are doing. Thank you. And make sure y'all go follow us at 21 Minutes or Less on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On YouTube, you can type in 21 Minutes or Less Podcast. And then you can go follow my personal page at Keisha Milana. And mine is at Miss Butterfly 21, M-I-S-S. And we'll see y'all in the next episode.